0: Hello, everyone. This is Michael Risk, your host. Just before we dive into this episode, we wanted to apologize for the echo issues in today's audio. However, we thought this episode with Chris Bleakley was too good not to put up. Thank you. And back to the episode.
1: If you have got a, a kind of standard level screen, let's say an ATFL tear. At two weeks, you should be noticing a trajectory of recovery. So reduction in pain, an improvement in in dorsiflexion, an improvement in patient's functional status, their subjective function. And if they're falling off that recovery curve, and you generally can tell by one or two weeks whether that's happening, then I think that's the time to say, okay, I might have missed something. It could be a high sprain. Maybe it's an osteocontrol deficit. Maybe there, there are more joints involved. Is this a sub tailor problem? And I think that should point people in the right direction.
0: sprains are so common around the clinic but it's important that we maintain a high level of diagnosis assessment and treatment so to help us with this we had chris bleakley come on the podcast today now he's a chartered physio and a senior lecturer at the university of ulster he's been published on hundreds of papers around sport and ankles and he's also done a stint at north carolina the high point university in some wonderful sport programs What struck me with Chris is his level of specificity and his assessment. He also helped us uh, look for the differences between a complicated ankle or the ankle that might be slow and not missing things like subtalar and syndesmosis. My name is Michael Risk and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much. great to be here.
0: This is super timely because you're doing an ankle masterclass for us and a return to play masterclass, which we'll include in the show notes. But we wanted to start with what do you see uh, some common mistakes that people are making with ankle rehab or return to play after ankle sprain?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it probably starts with their diagnosis. And regardless of what musculoskeletal injury you're talking about, if you don't get your diagnosis right, then you haven't got the right platform to develop your, your rehabilitation. So I think you've got to go right back to the start and um, make sure that, uh, that that's accurate, that you have used the right clinical tests, you've interpreted them, them in the right way, and where appropriate, you have got some, some follow-up imaging. I think the mistake that a lot of people probably make in terms of initial diagnosis this is probably a limitation of the clinical tests that we have, are that often subtle instabilities are missed
0: yeah.
1: in the ankle. Uh, and we maybe have underestimated the number of sprains that involve the syndesmosis or even have got a level of subtalar instability. So all of a sudden we have a sprain that involves three of the joints in the ankle complex, and we're often treating it as a standard lateral sprain. And that's really, it's doing the field from, from the start. So I think that's a, that's, a, that's a common oversight.
0: That's a nice place to start before we get into the rehab. And so if, say, syndesmosis and the subtalar sprains are often missed, what would you advise clinicians to do to kind of brush themselves up and, and not, not miss those or miss less of those?
1: Well... I think that the, the really obvious high ankle sprains um, are, are, are kind of hard to miss because they're, they're very unstable clinically. The difficult ones are the, the, the in-betweeners, the, the kind of 2A, 2B, and I think just have a high index of, of suspicion for instability uh, and, and follow up where you're, where you're not sure. One of the, the limitations of the test, the clinical test that we have when it comes to the synosmosis, of course, is that the vast majority of them are driven by, by pain provocation rather than – so it's a positive test that we recreate pain rather than actually assessing the level of instability. So I think there's some really nice uh, merging data on how useful dynamic ultrasound is. So you've got the, the probe and the synosmosis – and you're carrying out some of the clinical tests, I think that that can be really promising in the future. MRI can help, but of course, it's typically a static test. So I think have a high index of suspicion. The mild ones are are pretty easy to spot. The really severe unstable ones, the ones in the middle, I would just err on the side of caution.
0: Do you have a a clinical sign or... A suspicion when you're, you know, a couple of weeks in, and you're thinking I might have missed one of those. Is there something that would tip you off to that?
1: Yeah, well, I think again on on, a, on initial examination, if it's a synovitis, the more clinical tests that are positive, probably the worse prognosis. Uh, if you have got medial pain, that's generally a bad clinical sign. If you've got posterior pain, and also if you've got pain on palpation that is extending up the uh, up the shank, up the interosseous membrane, generally a poor prognostic sign. But in terms of tracking recovery, if you have got a, a kind of standard lateral spray, let's say an ATFL tear, at two weeks you should be noticing a trajectory of recovery. So reduction in pain, an improvement in, in dorsiflexion, an improvement in Patient's functional status, their subjective function, and if they're falling off that recovery curve, you generally can tell by one or two weeks that whether that's happening. Then I think that's the time to say, okay, I might have missed something. It could be a high sprain, maybe it's an osteochondral deficit, maybe there there are more joints involved. Is this a subtalar problem? And, and I think that should point people in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. As I can recall, a few stubborn ankles maybe their clinician was stubborn and I could tell that at two, at 2 weeks it just wasn't going right and it was like a dorsiflexion or they just still had trouble weight bearing and I'd start to think again okay, it might be time to do some scans take me to take me to rehab what what assessments do you do and look out for early in the piece and you might carry them all the way through
1: yeah i think the best framework that clinicians can use for their assessment and how assessment feeds in the rehab uh, or the the roast guidelines. And these were published fairly recently uh, in uh, in BGSM. They look at really two strands. The first strand is when I'm undertaking my diagnosis, I want to figure out uh, what structures are damaged, how many joints are involved. Are we dealing with one joint, two joints or all three in the ankle complex? That's the first strand, but it shouldn't stop there. The second strand is looking at, okay, what are the common impairments that we see associated with a sprain? How do we quantify them? And then how do we track them throughout the, the recovery? And, and how does that then inform our um, approach to, uh, to rehabilitation? So uh, start with some of the really obvious ones. It's got sagittal plane dominance. Uh, and uh, we need to look and see uh, how well dorsiflexion is is recovering? Is it meeting the milestones? A need a wall assessment. Is a is a really simple, quick clinical test. It's reliable. It's pretty valid. Yeah, it's it's something that we should look at. The thing I guess that we overlook sometimes is is plantar flexion. And a, a really nice study by the guys in Aspetar a few years ago looked at plantar flexion, but looked at all deficits, range of motion deficits. In a, a cohort of league soccer players. And even after this group had returned to play, they still had deficits in their range. But the biggest deficit was actually seen in plantar flexion. And I think it's probably not surprising because we do focus a lot on get dorsiflexion back, getting knee over toe. But plantar uh, flexion is equally important. And I think the deficits were around 10 to 15% in comparison to their, their uninjured side. So don't forget about plant reflection.
0: That's a good tip.
1: Yeah. The other common impairments that we see that carry from acute through to, uh, to chronic, basic things like postural control. We know that obviously the ligaments are very rich in, in afferent fibers and when they get damaged, everything gets a little bit disrupted. So a basic postural control test, like a wide balance test or a star, star excursion test done early on can give you a really nice baseline as to where this person is repeated measurements over time can help track their recovery curve with with that
0: so it's a really nice test to do that probably can carry out all the way through the rehab i'm surprised that i still see a lot of clinicians that don't have a a y or a, a star excursion test and it's It's kind of it's fun for the patient. They see an improvement. They can make the link to what they're doing in their sport pretty easily. I I like that test. And just going back to the plant effect, plantar flexion you mentioned, seen a lot of ankles that are really sensitive in plantar flexion. And it's probably, as you said, we just don't focus on it and desensitize that movement. I think about the soccer or football player that they hit the ball on the end of their foot. They don't quite get it right. And that really stings them. So it's a bit of a sign to work on that desensitizing plantar flexion. Will you use the Y balance test or the star excursion all the way as like a discharge criteria?
1: Yes. Uh, I think it's obviously time, <laughs> it's time limited. And, and uh, I mean, when I'm working clinically, I'm probably the same as everyone else that you get a 30 minute window and you have to prioritize how am I going to use this time mm-hmm what's most efficient. But I think that that should be one of the, the priorities early on. I may not do it every session, but I think intermittently it, it is something I like to keep, to keep track of. Strength is also really important. And inversion strength, eversion strength, and how that, how that tracks. We, we tend to be a little bit a bit like dorsiflexion uh, range when it comes to strength. We obsess on, on, on eversion, on, on inner range eversion strength. And, of course, that is, that is very important. But one of the things that we know in our chronic ankle instability population is that they also have deficits in their inversion and in supination strength. And that, that is a, a, a real priority that we, again, I think we overlook that. That's something that I would be really neurotic about regaining some form of inversion in, in the early stages. And, and some of it is physiologically driven. So, again, there's a, there's a muscle inhibition there because they've got a big swollen distended joint. But there's also, a, I guess, a, a psychological factor, a psychological driver, because often they're recreating the injury movement and they need a lot of, of support and coaching to try and, and get that back. In terms of quantifying those, it is a little bit more difficult than the unique challenge that we have in the ankle complex is that there are so many degrees of freedom that are available. It tends to make the assessment a little bit noisy. So it's not like we're dealing with, let's say we're using a handheld dynamometer and we're looking at a hamstring or, or, or a quad. We're really looking at a sagittal plane movement. When it comes to the ankle complex and we're looking at the subtalar joint, we've got lots of degrees of freedom that we have to try and control. So I think we should still measure it. A handheld dynamometer is a a nice way to do it. But just be wary and be cognizant that when you're looking at changes over time, we need pretty big changes to be sure that that's a real clinical improvement and it's not just a a noisy measure.
0: I guess really what I'm picking up from you, Chris, is I think the really good health professionals look for these one percenters that you're speaking to, not just eversion strength, but inversion strength, not just knee to wall dorsiflexion range, but plantar flexion range and sensitivity. And I think private practice physios can sometimes just think that's an ankle sprain, you know. I'll, I'll, they'll, they'll be running pretty soon they'll be running and hopping at two or three weeks and they're back to sport and we'll strap it up I really like the detail you're going into if we take it to what's your battery of say physical and mental assessments that you will do before you're sending someone back to the game criteria
1: well I think that yeah it's interesting you said about the the, the subjective so again the, obviously the <laughs> The driver is, do they feel ready to go back? And some of the subjective instability that somebody might have is difficult to capture. So a a cumberland ankle instability tool or a CAIT questionnaire, really, really quick, easy to do, particularly in the latter stages of of treatment, i will get people to to fill out. And and again, it's out of 30. We really want scores above kind of 26, 27, ideally back to, uh, to, to, to full marks in there. Uh, a general functional scale like a FAM can also help. Some of the people can fill out in, in the meeting room. But full dorsiflexion, I think uh, a full range of movement, calf raise, a hop for distance, a hop for height. So again, looking at how they can control forces, not just vertically, uh, but also in, in a horizontal way and I think star excursion is is really important strength through handheld dynamometer bearing in mind that they will be a little bit noisier and the minimal detectable change is pretty pretty high on those I think the, the, the thing we need to probably say is that these are all clinical tests and I think if we really want to be judicious about our return to play decision we do need to make a transition to the environment that they're going to be involved in, whether it's a court, whether it's a fee, and look at their ability to to run and jump and cut and adding in a cognitive challenge and, and that kind of thing. And often we maybe don't have that, that luxury within a within a, a private practice setting. So there is a little bit of a leap of faith. It's not 100% foolproof. They're passing all of these clinical criteria. There is still a little bit of a, of a jump after
0: that. Yeah. I I love what you've covered today, Chris, because a a fair few things have struck me is how specific you are, the objective tests you want to use and and carry through all the way. But even what you touched on there is a subjective questionnaire and getting them back to their environment. I do see that sometimes common ankle sprains can be disregarded as as a simple injury and you might only see someone three or four times. I think if you're doing it really well and using these assessments and getting them ready for return to play there's a lot we can be doing for those patients and those injuries so i think this was really valuable thank you so much for your time chris
1: yeah thanks very much
0: and we're going to put some papers in the show notes and a link to your masterclass. thank you again for doing that and thank you for joining us
1: brilliant thanks a lot